the inner critic. And it's constantly running in the background saying, I'm not smart enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. But that inner negativity is what erodes our confidence. I'm David Ote, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. In this episode, you are in for a treat. Not only will you meet Susan Morris, a dynamic speaker and coach who can help you up your career ladder, but you'll also be a witness as she takes me through a simple yet surprising demonstration of the mind-body connection. When it comes to building your confidence, you don't want to go on stage until you've heard what Susan Morris has to say. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Ote, and on this program, we have a mix of content and conversations. And today we're having a conversation, and it promises to be, I think, a fascinating one. It's going to be a slightly different subject matter than what we often have about your presentations and telling the story of your work. I'm very pleased to have as my interview guest on today's program, Susan Morris. Susan, hello and welcome. Well, hello, David, and welcome to everyone that's listening to this podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you here. You know, Susan and I uh, met as we were uh, presenting, both presenting at a scientific conference in the career development track, and we've become professional associates since then and have had some fascinating conversations about where our interests overlap and where they don't, where they're complementary. And I'm just so looking forward to this conversation. Susan, would you tell our audience a little bit more about yourself and what brought you to, to what you're doing right now? Yes, uh, I am very proud to say I am not a scientist. However, I have been a consultant and coach for the life sciences for more than 25 years. And over that time, I observed the trend that scientists are technically gifted, but may not be gifted with leadership and managing others. So that is the gap that I fill. I escort STEM professionals up their career ladder, and I'm passionate about getting STEM women a seat at the top of their organization. Mm, escort them up the ladder. I like that analogy. Not... Uh pushing them up the ladder, but escorting them. Yes. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to visualize that and it is sort of a peculiar image, but I like the wording of it. <laughs> well, so it's how the, did you, yeah, how did you the, get into doing that? It's the idea that, sorry for overstepping. Yeah, that's right. uh, it's the idea that I'm walking along with, that I am an equal participant and distinguishing myself from a mentor because as a coach, I am a partner in working with the client. A mentor is somebody that's typically in the lead and is showing the, uh, the client or the mentee what not to do. So it's a totally different relationship. So it's an intentional use for the word partner or escort. I like that because, you know, sometimes 
uh, in some of the training that I do, some of the leadership training, I struggle to come up with a clear distinction between mentor and coach. Mm-hmm. It, it's one of those things, you know it when you see it, but sometimes I've had a hard time verbalizing it. So thank you for that. That's very yeah. helpful. How did you get into coaching? I had two clients, two women that were PhDs, one in chemistry and one in PK. And the two of them were not getting along and their not getting along was really hurting the small biotech where they worked. Uh I worked with both of them. And after the resulting of our working together, they figured out they had to collaborate. And they said to me, you know, we've been successful in figuring this out, Susan, you should be a coach. And I say, a coach? What's that? (laughs) And for a couple of years, I called myself the reluctant coach. And then I finally went and did the training. And now I'm a very excited coach. Very excited coach. Okay. So when you coach, um, describe to me your, your typical coaching client. Some of my coaching clients come to me because they're stuck. They are not getting ahead in their careers. They are frustrated with the relationship that they have with their manager or they're stuck because of their experience with the team, whether they're leading a team or they're managed or they're a, uh, or one of the team members. Another type of client is one who really is ambitious. They're not stuck. They know exactly where they want to go in their career. They just don't know how to get there. So it's the idea of helping the people that really feel like they are paralyzed or not moving ahead and help them to figure out how they can move ahead and putting a plan in place so that they do achieve their career step. And for the other group of clients, it's, again, trying to figure out what's their life purpose? Why are they here? What are they given What hunger are they given to feed? And once we figure out life purpose, then everything else falls into place. And again, it becomes a planning process. Mm. There was a time in my life, uh, not quite 20 years ago, when I really wish you had been around. (laughs) Because I went through a period of being very stuck. And uh, I, I had left one career in broadcast. Well, this is actually before I left my career in broadcast engineering, I left a job. Um, and it was the one time in my career, I left a job without a clear idea of what my next step was going to be. And I had to figure out what I was going to be when I grew up. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's challenging for uh, a trained professional in, in my forties. And uh, so I, I can certainly relate to the people that you've, you've helped become unstuck because I had to put a lot of work into that. You've, you've carved out a niche for yourself working with STEM professionals. Mm -hmm. Is that because of the particular need, the gap that you saw in in Mm -hmm. that professional area? Yes. Uh, I know that STEM professionals are highly educated. And what's interesting to me is that they are scientifically and technically expert. They have all of this incredibly complex and difficult science that they can talk about and and, um, perform these experiments and give us the vaccines and tests for COVID. 
Yet when it comes to managing others, when it comes to building relationships, when it comes to collaboration, scientists are often expected to know this because they're so bright, because they're so excellent. And that expectation sometimes can be a real way to undermine their belief in themselves because some people really can admit, I've never been taught how to delegate. I've never been taught how to manage. I've never been taught to give a performance conversation. And that's where I step in to try to help. I can relate to that. I really can. Because there was a time in my career that that led to my leaving a job and feeling stuck. <laughs> when I was in over my head managing a project that I did not have the tools and the training to manage well. And I managed it poorly. And by the time that was all done, I wasn't sure who I was anymore if I wasn't that smart, educated, highly trained guy who could figure it all out. But it was unrealistic of me to expect that I could just figure out on my own this body of knowledge that project managers had put together for for decades and yet, uh, I just had that expectation of myself, and I thought everyone had that expectation of me, that I could just figure it out. It's, it's one of the hardest things for STEM professionals to say, I don't know. Mm. It's very hard to ask for help. It's very hard to admit that they are not omnipotent. And once I can work through the fear of not being all-knowing, then we can make some progress. But boy, oh boy, is that a big admission for some folks. How do you help people get to that point? We talk about it in terms of perfectionism. Mm. Oh, you're speaking my language now. <laughs> yeah, now I know we're opening that Pandora's box. Oh, we are. We are. And I can tell you this story of one of my clients who was a perfectionist. This was a woman who, again, was a lab leader. And um, for her, her whole life was her job. In fact, not only was her whole life her job, but she lived an hour away from the job and uh, rented an apartment 10 minutes from the job site. So what she would do is that during the week that she would live in the apartment so that she could be constantly in the lab or run back to the lab whenever something was going wrong at the lab or she got an alarm. And she did this year in and year out. Wow. Because she needed to be in control. She needed everything mm -hmm. to be perfect. And guess what happened? She it had a perfect. <laughs> no, she got cancer. Oh. Her body gave out. She became burnt out. She was overstressed. She got, <laughs> you're not going to be surprised. Her husband divorced her because it was all about the job and perfectionism, being in total control. Mm. Isn't that sad? It is sad. It truly is. And so you were able to help her? Yes. I was able to help her up to a point 
But after, you know, so many years of beating that same path backwards and forwards, that 10 minutes between the rental house, the rental apartment and the job, it was very hard for her to admit that there was another way to live her life. What we had to start doing was we had to start looking at self-care because Mm. one of the missing elements in her life was balance Mm. Mm -hmm. and giving time to recuperate, to regenerate, to recharge over the weekends. So she started very slowly once a week going out for a 10 minute walk with her husband. That was an enormous leap for her. And from that tiny step of taking just a 10 minute walk, we expanded it to a 30 minute walk. And then we just added some breathing exercises and a little bit of meditation. And so again, it was adding on to her um, repertoire of self-care. Was it enough to overcome the genetic problems of her body? No, but at least it brought back a little tiny bit of balance to her life. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. And, and so you work with uh, professionals on these things you're talking about, getting unstuck, finding more balance, more self-care. And, and you also work in the area of helping people build confidence, which I find fascinating. Yeah, confidence uh, I find as a thread between many of my clients. And this is true regardless of gender. However, I feel that sometimes women's issues around confidence are different than men. Okay. And men are a lot involved with uh, competition that they're very comfortable in sales and marketing or meeting challenges. And in order to be able to be in a competitive environment, they need to be believing in themselves. So I think confidence isn't as great of an issue because I think boys are socialized to be strong and powerful. Mm. Whereas again, when women enter the workforce, It's not that women lack confidence in themselves. It's lacking confidence in their abilities. So sometimes... Say that again. That's an important distinction. Yeah, that they know how to make decisions because they made decisions to become a scientist. Women know whether they're ready to start a family. So they know that that takes some courage to become a parent. It does. But what happens is that when women enter the workforce, because of the dominance of men in the workforce, there isn't parity in the genders, in the life sciences, women don't have access to female mentors who are strong, bold, and courageous. They have a lot of their male models, and the male model is, again, very competitive, which is great in some situations. But there, are, there aren't a whole lot of women who they can model themselves after who are totally competent, totally assured of their expertise, and are able to speak out and speak up to get what they want, need, and desire. You know what I was just thinking as you were talking about um, the disparity 
the gender disparity in, in upper levels of, of management. Um, I'm reading a, a book right now and I don't want to cite it incorrectly. So I'll put the citation in the program notes. One of the co-authors is Chip Heath, who, which is with his brother, Dan Heath has written several, well, wrong way, several of the books you see on the shelf behind me. Uh, but this is one that he co-authored with someone else on talking about numbers. And he had a, a fascinating example uh, just how you can bring home a disparity in numbers. If you look at the number of CEOs of Fortune 500 com companies, there are fewer women than there are men named James. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Isn't that an interesting way to look at that disparity? Pick one random man's name and there are fewer women than, than them. <laughs> so sure, how, how could you expect women to have a lot of confidence in areas that are so male dominated. My sister, who has been in the interest of transparency, a guest on this program, is a scientist. And we've had some interesting conversations about that, um, about where she looked for role models. Unfortunately, she had some good role models early in her scientific career. But tell me more about this thing you mentioned to me earlier, um, internal and external confidence. Mm -hmm. I believe that's the way you put it. Yes, I did. Um, I, I, if I could start with inner confidence, inner confidence, inner yeah. confidence, because I think that is something that pertains to both men and women, regardless of age and what type of science you practice. Mm -hmm. So the first thing we can talk about is the inner critic. There's oh, this little you're, inner You're going voice. straight to my heart. <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah. <laughs> And it's constantly running in the background saying, I'm not smart enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And the inner critic, we've been hearing this for so long that sometimes we even ignore it or we don't even hear it. But that inner negativity is what erodes our confidence. It's what shoots us ourselves in our feet, in our foot. <laughs> Because it's undermining our belief in ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I can think of a time when I was struggling with uh, depression and not knowing where to take my career next when I know that inner critic was dominating the conversation. Yeah. I had to learn how to talk back to my inner critic and, and reclaim some of my belief in who I was. Yeah. Here's another idea. Yeah, let me give you another suggestion on how to manage the inner critic because you can't ever get rid of it. It's just part mm -hmm. of the human psyche, unfortunately. So the first thing is to be aware. And as you just said, it's, it's, that's the first step is just being quiet and you'll hear it. And the inner critic is loudest during times of change because the inner critic wants to keep you safe. They don't want the inner critic doesn't want you taking chances, taking risks. So you'll hear that inner critic when you're starting a new project, when you're learning a new skill, when you're taking a new job. Oh, wow. That's when it's really blowing out in your ears. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to protect you. That's an interesting take on it. Yeah. So the first is awareness. Then the second step I recommend is to write down these negative thoughts. Mm. The idea of taking it from in here and actually putting it on paper 
makes the, those negative voices real. They're not imagined. They're real. They're right there on that paper. The third step is to ask yourself, are these negative thoughts true? Right, right. Are they true? Is there evidence in support of them, in other words? And if they are true, then you need to get into the fourth thing, which is to take action to make them untrue. So, for example, I don't know enough about statistics. I'm being really honest here. I got a D in statistics and I'd ruined my career as a mathematician. And what did I have to do? I had to take additional uh, prep with with the professor. I had to take the course over again. And eventually I had a rudimentary understanding of statistics. But unless I did something to remediate I would have still been having that as a negative voice. I don't know statistics. Mm, Okay. Okay. A negative voice saying, um, I'm 99% sure you don't understand statistics. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that last step. Yeah. Yeah. That last step is getting into action. Um, I think a lot of times our inner critic keeps us paralyzed, keeps us frozen in doubt. And what we want to do is we want to break that chain and we want to move into something positive. Like I just mentioned, take a course, get extra help, read a book, whatever it is to make you feel like you have your arms around this knowledge that you have to add to your repertoire. Take Mm. action. Take action. Take action. Instead of being paralyzed by what the inner critic has to say. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there. I've been paralyzed by that. Yeah. Wow. Um, so that's the the inner confidence. And, and there's also the outer confidence. Yep. We're going to talk about outer confidence, our body and our body language. But David, you and I are going to have some fun. Are you ready to have some fun with me? Okay, I'm ready to have some fun. It sounds like you're going to give me something to do here. (laughs) Yeah. So the idea is that our outer confidence and the way we hold our bodies sends a message to our brain, and then our brain tells us that we are confident. So there's a very tight connection between how we feel about ourselves and how our body is aligned or not aligned. Mm, sort of a, that gives a, a us the loop there, right? I'm sorry, I interrupted you. That gives us this feeling that we are worthy and we are powerful. So David and I are going to do this thing together, and I hope this works great. Okay. This is keep based in mind on, there will be people who won't see us. They'll only hear us on the podcast. Let me that's fine. whatever is going on visually. Okay. This is based on the work of Professor Grunfield from Stanford University done in 2014. And there's three steps to this little exercise. In this first part of the exercise, David, what I'd like you to do is I would like you to Stand and sit, sorry, sit sit really tall. Keep your back really straight. Pull your shoulders back. And I also want you to put your arms out like you own this space. 
And I want you to have your head up and I want you to have a smile on your face. And I'd like you to say, I'm not worthy. I am hopeless. I'm a mess. I'm not worthy. I am hopeless. I'm a mess. Okay. How did that feel, David? (laughs) It felt very discordant because how can I believe those things that I'm saying to be true about myself when I'm holding myself in this posture? That's right. That's right. All right. So here's the second try, the second practice. Now I would like you to round your shoulders, put your hands in your lap, look down, frown, bring your eyebrows together, curl, you know, Grimace. And now I'd like you to say, I am worthy. I'm on top of the world. I am terrific. I am worthy. I am on top of the world. I am terrific. Now, how do you feel, David? (laughs) And that felt just as disconnected. Okay. Sure. The words and what my body was doing were just in different places. It's extraordinary, isn't it? The messages that our mouth sends are the exact opposite of what our body is sending. Wow. Okay. So the next step would be? To put them together. So sitting up straight. Mm-hmm. Leaning in, shoulders back. Really pretend as if you um, have your arms out, or you can even put your arms on your hips, head up. I am powerful. I am terrific. I'm on top of the world. I am powerful. I am terrific. I am on top of the world. And yeah, now, how that does it good? Be? Yes. <laughs> And the reason is, is because it is in alignment. It is an alignment. And yeah, that's absolutely. the message that is so powerful when our speech, our words, our tone, our body language are all consonant, are all aligned, are all in sync. That's when we are most confident. So it, it adopting that confident physicality and matching that with what you're saying is what brings that all together. Yes. And remind me again, this is based on, on the work done by whom? Um, I can't remember her first name, but Gruenfeld, G-R-U-E-N-F-E-L-D from Stanford. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Because it reminds me of the work of Amy Cuddy at Harvard in Power Poses. Yes. It's re- related to that as well. Yes. Can I say something about power poses? Surely. For those of you in the audience, power posing is standing tall like Wonder Woman, right? You know, with her hands on her hips mm-hmm. and her legs are spread. apart. The reason why that is a power pose is because of the triangles. The triangle is the strongest geometric form. Mm-hmm. So there's a triangle between her arms that are on her hips and a triangle between her legs. 
for those of you that don't know who Wonder Woman is, a more contemporary vision is Rocky on the steps of our beautiful Philadelphia Art Museum. So he's standing again with his legs apart and his arms up in the air like this, forming another triangle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you can keep that in mind when you're thinking about a power pose, and it could just simply be putting your your hands on your hips, keeping your legs wide apart, That'll make you come off as confident. And so is this a pose you would recommend someone adapt when they're coming up to the front of the room or up on a stage to give a presentation? Or is that something they would do before going on? Absolutely. Do it in the bathroom. Are you kidding people? (laughs) (laughs) Hysterical. (laughs) So you get that that rush of yes what would it be endorphins or something yes it's the yeah. idea it's it's one of the really basic tenets about being confident is being planful and prepared planful so if you prepared. know you're yeah. going into an important meeting or you're going into a crucial conversation or you're making a presentation the way that you can be powerful and confident is that little 30 seconds before you go in Bring your shoulders back. Take a deep breath. Think of yourself as I've got this. I've and got then this. your body and your mind are in sync and you go in and you kill it. Mm, body and mind in sync. Wow. And, and I, I, can, I can tell you that I experienced that in that little exercise that we did, that those words only made sense when they were in sync with what I was doing with my body. Mm-hmm. That was powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's uh, uh, go ahead. I was going to say virtually, it could be a bit of a challenge. I have a couple of suggestions for virtual confidence. Okay. Please. So one of the things that we can do is that when we are in a zoom meeting, obviously the number one killer is multitasking. Please. Oh, yeah. I even turned off my phone, which I never do to have this, this podcast with David. The second thing is look into the camera. And I know for some of us, that's really tough to do, but put a post-it note by the camera itself. And then you can, that would be your reminder to look at the camera, not at the screen. Mm -hmm. I have a little sticker with a tiny face on it that goes right next to my camera. (laughs) The third thing to do is use other people's names. When we're having a Zoom call, sometimes we're making a comment and it like floats into the atmosphere and we have no idea who it was directed to. Ah, so address a specific person. Yeah. David, that was a really great idea. I'm so glad that you made that uh, mention. It's more powerful than- I'm so glad you brought all of these ideas to the show today. Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead. I interrupted you. Yeah. And and another one is leaning in and sitting on the edge of your chair. Those are two posture suggestions that really, again, show that you are in the conversation, that you're not sitting back. You're not doing any of these kinds of things. With arms crossed for those who can see it. Mm -hmm. And let me give you my last one. Here's another story. I was asked to help this team leader who had lost all respect from her team. She was working with a bunch of men and it just happened to be 
a bunch of men working in, in the United States on this team. And she was in France and she was a, a very young, attractive Parisian woman. And we looked at her video of her team meetings and we were trying to figure out what's going on with this poor woman that she can't get the respect she deserves from the team. And what she was doing is that she had a nervous habit of playing with her hair. But I'm talking about long, abundant locks of hair that she would flip or that she would twirl or she would do different kinds of things with it. And her poor, poor male team members, not only were they distracted, but they didn't know how to take her. Right. I wouldn't know how to. Is she is she being flirty? Is she yes. uh, preening? Yes. <sighs> yeah. Mm hmm. So once she got that feedback and once she saw herself and she began to say, uh-huh, now I understand. She put a, a you know, a um, scrunchie on and that, that took care of most of the problems. Obviously, she had to reestablish her rapport with the team, right. but at least she didn't have this nervous habit. I've seen other nervous habits of people clicking pens. I've seen other nervous habits of people looking away, petting their dogs. So be aware that anything that you're doing to distract in a, in a Zoom or a team um, meeting call can send a message that you're not confident. Mm, you've seen me do my, my frequent tick. I, I touch my face a lot. Is that something that I should be more attentive to when I'm on camera? It would help. I've seen that as sitting on your hands, holding a pen, holding a glass of water, anything to give your hands something to do other than mm -hmm. <laughs> <this> stuff. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Now, in the case of that woman, um, what would you say to someone who said, well, to get the attention of the men, she had to, you know, by putting, by pulling her hair back, uh, she had to, I don't know, almost defeminize herself somehow. She had to break the habit of when she got nervous of touching her hair. Okay. So what we had to do is we had to work on her self-esteem. We had to work on her believing in her ability to lead this team. So we had conversations, obviously, with me coaching her alone, but we also had conversations with her and her boss. Because it was obvious that she didn't believe that her boss thought she could do this job of leading this complex team. And once the boss began to say, no, um, I'm trying to remember her name. I think her name was that. No, Natalie, I really know that you've got this. I, I have complete confidence in you. So those combined efforts mm. for her to realize that she had the skills. Mm -hmm that she had her boss who believed in her. She had a coach who was going to work with her on how she can reestablish her leadership with the team. And she turned it around. She turned it around. Wow. That's a terrific success story. I'm so, so glad you shared that with us. So the, the thoughts that we're leaving the audience with today are the steps you can take on your, to work on your inner confidence and the, the physicality of displaying your outer confidence. What a great message. 
Susan Morris, thank you for being on the show with me today. May I end by inviting anyone on this call or listening to this podcast, if you'd like to engage with me, my email is susan at susanmorriscoaching.com. I'd be very glad to chat with you and to see how I can help escort you up your career ladder. I'm sure we have people that would be delighted to have such an escort. Susan at susanmorriscoaching.com. Well, thank you for being on the show with me today, Susan. It was such a pleasure getting acquainted with you through the conference where we both spoke and looking ahead to some some uh, joint programs that we're working on on presenting to that uh, that client. So I know we'll be talking again soon. I am David Odie. This is the power of story and science. If you'd like to follow up with me, one way you can do that is go to the home page of this program just by typing in storyandscience.com. That will take you to the home page of the program, which is actually a page on my website. From there, you can reach out to me as well. As always, thank you for being part of the story and science community. This has been The Power of Story and Science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening.